This is the Freestyle Way. And welcome back, my friends, to the Freestyle Way podcast. My name is Carl Powley. I'm your host. And this week, I'm not pumped. I'm beyond pumped. Because last week, with Logan Gelbrick's episode, we set a record when it came to downloads and listens. And it's all thanks to you guys for sharing taking screenshots, posting on your stories, taking notes, videos, unreal. You guys crushed it. So massive thank you for that. Uh, I'm, I don't know what to say. I'm just super, super grateful. In addition to that, when the episode released last week, Logan Gelbrick's book, Going Right, went live on Amazon and became available for pre-order. And within 48 hours, he got so many purchases of the book. I actually bought 10 copies. Uh, His book in the category of philosophy shot to the top and became a bestseller. So congratulations, Logan, and massive thank you to every single one of you guys who listened and pre-ordered Logan's book. He's a game changer. If you listen to the episode, you know And man, I'm just so excited to see where Logan is taking this. So massive, massive congrats, Logan. We love you and you are bound to do amazing things. And I'm just so grateful that we get to uh, bear witness of that. In regards to today's episode, before we get into it, I want to present you with another segment we have on this podcast called How Carl Funds the Freestyle Way podcast. (laughs) It's an ad, my friends. And this ad is very simple. All it is is to talk to you about what we're doing with Freestyle Connection, which is a website you can go to, which is freestyleconnection.com. And on this website, you'll find three things. Number one, you'll find the courses that I teach all around the world. I've been teaching these for over 10 years. And those courses, you can find uh, some on coaching, some on uh, mastering a movement, but it's not about a movement. It's about everything else. It's about what's happening in between your ears, your mindset, what's happening in your heart and your gut, your emotions, and then how are you translating that to higher levels of performance. And then you also have a workshop dedicated to coaches, and this one is really rooted in self-development and uh, articulated through communication. And I'm super excited about those offerings that we have. And if you're a coach or an athlete and you want to attend one of those, all you have to do is go to freestyleconnection.com forward slash freestyle dash courses. The other offering you'll see there is my book, my book Freestyle that came out in 2014. And um, it's available there. You can get it signed or you can get it on Amazon. And you can also find it uh, in stores. So you can find the book there. And the book is originally a manual for my big seminar that I used to teach and now continues to live on within these smaller workshops and everything that I'm doing online. And uh, the third thing that you will find on freestyleconnection.com is our training, our training group. And this group is um, a group of people dedicated to uh, exploring movement at the most fundamental level. And the way that we're doing that is by programming daily 
workouts, daily practices, training sessions that you can go through. They have videos, descriptions, and uh, there's a downloadable app. And we have also a Facebook group that you can join in where you will engage with me, with Daniel, who has been on this podcast, and our team captain, Lydia. And uh, that's where it all goes down. So the way that we're funding this podcast, (laughs) it's by uh, doing more courses, uh, working with more athletes, more coaches, and uh, also through uh, all the proceeds that come through the book sales. So If you are listening and you are so keen, go to freestyleconnection.com and find us there. Now, in today's episode, we have my friend, Sheena Lister, who is someone I met back in the day at San Francisco CrossFit where I was coaching, and she was a member and athlete who I got to work with and got to know that way. And later on, we became friends uh, because my wife and her were friends outside of the gym. And a few years ago, she reached out to me and said, Carl, I'm leaving my job at the JCC and I'm starting a new company. I'm calling it WFA, which stands for Workforce Athletics. And basically what I intend to do is to develop an organization that becomes a governing body for sports leagues within the workforce. So basically creating the NCAA for the workforce. And she's done it. She is out there right now growing this awesome business where she has companies like Google and Tesla and Yahoo, and every single one of them has teams, and they play basketball and volleyball, and they have coaches, and they have practices, and they play a real league with referees and the whole thing uniforms they go all out and what they've done is that they have taken company spirit and the culture within these companies formed sports teams and now not just competing in the sport and learning a craft but bringing what they are putting out and learning in their practice of a sport such as basketball or volleyball and bringing it back to the workforce where, where all of a sudden now the CEO and someone in HR are playing on the same team and they're communicating and interacting at a whole new level. Anyways, I'm excited about this and I think this conversation for the next hour is going to be really insightful as we get into how uh, Sheena went from being an athlete, getting injured, uh, eventually having to leave her athletic career as a tennis player and then working at the JCC and deciding to leave her cushy job to become an entrepreneur and as a woman uh, being surrounded by men in the world of uh, business, how she navigates this and she asks some really good questions and has some great values that I believe you're really going to benefit from. So without further ado, uh, here is Sheena Lister on the Freestyle Way podcast. You wore a sweater in my honor today. Ask for Sheena, is that what it is? Yes, it is. Yeah, it's thanks. strike. <laughs> but yes, it is. Same, same. S, S for Sheena. Um so I was, I was actually walking with uh, uh, Tanya last night, and I asked her, hey, can, can you tell me something about Sheena that maybe I don't know? Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, we did a keg stand together. True story. <laughs> do you remember? I do remember, because we have a photo to prove it. Okay. Yeah. 
And then I was like, well, maybe the keg stand is a little too intense to start with. But uh, then she said, well, you know, my first memory of Sheena was she showed up at San Francisco CrossFit and it was like tire flipping or something like that. Okay. And then she looked over at you and uh, she's like, ah, this little girl is not going to be able to flip the tire. And then all of a sudden you walked up to the tire, flipped it, and then she tried and she couldn't do it. And then you beat her on every workout uh, ever since. Oh, no. Yeah. I don't think I beat her on every workout ever since. I mean, maybe. I think. Maybe. So you're going to have to be a little closer to the mic, potentially. Yeah. Uh, Do you remember that? Beating her on every workout? I mean, I remember... I actually remember beating her on some workouts. But I'm more importantly, I remember... um, the transition from thinking Tanya was timid, introverted, a little bit shy and standoffish to being like, Tanya's fucking awesome. And then we became teammates um, at San Francisco CrossFit and instant friends. And um, I probably still beat her in workouts, but I don't, I don't really remember that part. You, you probably do. You, you go hard. That, <laughs> I go that, hard. That's what you're known for, going hard. Yeah. Um, I was just worried this was going to crash on us. So if this falls over, we'll, we'll just take a little break. Uh, it's, I think, I we're think fine. it's good. Yeah, we're fine. Uh, do, you, do you think that that is how people maybe see you sometimes? Like, oh, look at this little girl. She can't really do it. And then all of a sudden you show up and you flip that tire? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think throughout my life, I have been perceived as someone who's small but mighty. Um, But I think in my later years, um, some people, uh, at least the feedback I've received from people is when they first meet me, they perceive me as intimidating or um, I don't think bossy is the right word, but um, unapproachable. And then I think, um, you know, if you were to talk to my inner circle or my close family or friends or once you get to know me, you realize that I'm the most approachable and unintimidating person out there. But I think um, for maybe subconsciously, I've made up for my lack of stature or height or size in my, um, you know, confidence or personality. Um, And yeah, I mean, I... I'm, I'm proud to say that I, I actually love being known as small but mighty or um, f- the person who will flip the tire and go that extra extra mile to get shit done. Um, but yeah, I've never seen myself as someone who's small or short or whatever. I think I... For me, that's, that's never been a barrier to achieving anything. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, small but mighty, here I am. Machine, machine. You you are a machine, and you're an inspiring (laughs) machine. Uh, Another memory that was coming to mind right now for me was when I had to uh, uh, not cut you from the team, but let you know that the San Francisco CrossFit team Mm. uh, was going to go on without you. Man, that call was one of the worst calls I've had to make in my life. Really? What happened? I don't remember. I I can't remember either, but I remember, man, Sheena is uh, someone that when I reach out to her and I tell her this, she's going to ask me some questions, Uh and I'm going to have to answer 
and I'm going to have to have a, a really good answer because she's going to want to know exactly why, how this happened, right. and what she can do to get better to make it on the team. Right. So I remember being nervous and always just thinking about it. I remember exactly what I was. I was outside Starbucks in Tahoe. Uh, yeah. This was like years ago, right? This, like six, seven years ago? Seven years ago or more. Wow, okay. Anyway, so you've, you've always been an intense person. Yep. And I, but I've always admired you because you've, you've always been super consistent. You've always gone super hard. And here you are now uh, running this company uh, called Workforce Athletics, yeah. which uh, I've had the pleasure of bearing witness of its uh, inception until now. Uh, can you tell us in a nutshell what Workforce Athletics is? Sure. So Workforce Athletics, let's call it WFA to make things easy for this conversation. Um, we're calling it the uh, a sports brand for the world's best companies or shorten that a sports brand for companies. Um, if uh, I think my audience would understand if I said the NCAA for the workforce and what we're really trying to build and achieve is we're trying to create a community of athletes and we call them employee athletes um, who are representing their companies through sports just like you would represent your high school as a high school athlete or as a college athlete or one step further as a professional athlete. Uh, so what we've really, what we, we're building is a, we're building a community um, of, uh, we're building a community of athletes that exist in their own companies. Um, and yeah, it's awesome. Sports brand for the world's best companies. That's awesome, which is totally different than starting a rec league. Correct. So, um, two reasons why I started WFA. One, I, was, I myself was a Division One college tennis player. Um, I went to Northern Arizona University, go Lumberjacks. Boom. Boom, baby. Um, I grew up playing sports my entire life, team sports, all the way up through college, of course. Um, and then I entered the workforce, like many of us do. And um, I, I really, I didn't lose that identity of being that athlete, but you once you enter the workforce and you stop playing high level sports um you never you don't have that opportunity to to feel that way again i think so much of it comes down to feeling like an athlete um and really um you know we 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 go through this whole trajectory of playing sports from when we are 5 to college and the connecting piece there is you feel like an athlete right and then you graduate college and you enter the workforce. And um, in my opinion, playing rec sports or in a beer league or in a social league, it, it's really not the same. You don't feel like an athlete. And there's a lot of reasons why we know that um, those opportunities don't allow you to feel like an athlete. Um, so I kind of looked at the landscape and I thought to myself, well, how can we give people or adults the opportunity to have that experience that I had growing up, which was very impactful and beneficial to me as a human? Um, and, and how can we also allow people who had that high-level athletic experience to continue to have that? Um, and so I looked at the sports landscape and figured that the connecting piece to all of these, call it sports institutions, professional sports, high school sports, college sports, was the identity piece. Um, and what I mean by identity is the idea that you're representing and playing for something. 
So the 49ers, you're playing for the city, and the entire city of San Francisco rallies around you as a team. So you're, it's not only the athletes that are having the ex- experience, it's transformative, it's transcendent, it's everybody around you are able to feel like you're part of this community, belonging, right? Um, and the same things go for high school. If you think of where school spirit stems from, what does school spirit even mean, Right? You think about it and you go deeper, well, school spirit comes from your sports teams. But it's not only that team captain that's having the best experience of his or her life. It's that team captain's classmates and their schoolmates and their families and their friends that are all rallying around this team and school um, with the idea of, you know, they're all going in, they all have the same goal, going the same direction, right? Um, And what happens when college is over and we start talking about rec leagues and sports leagues, those leagues don't afford you the opportunity to have that experience because there's no um, unifying piece. If I, if I asked you, Carl, oh, you play in a soccer league, where do you play? Who do you play for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'd say I play for Real Madrid. Yeah, right? <laughs> I play for Spain. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. you're going to play, oh, fuck, I don't remember, man. Like, I, I play at this facility i don't even know the league i play mm-hmm. my buddy just if asked you're me in to a rec play league, of course yeah. yeah yeah but as a professional athlete you would say something completely different right so why do you think it's sport and not like the math club that creates the spirit yeah um man sports are sports are amazing right for better or worse i think that if sport is done right it, it's sport is everybody in the world understands sports right it's it's a language that everybody can come together and get around. I would argue that math, engineering, law, um, construction, right? Those are um, skills and as, like extremely valuable, um, you know, valuable skill sets, but they're, they're very limiting or limited, right, to a certain population. But sports is transformative. It extends across the entire world. And the reason it does that is because sports like, are the building blocks for so many things in life. Um, you build life skills, relationship skills um, through sports. And the reason why is because at its core foundation, sports teaches you the things that we know as humans are valuable in life. Confidence, how to win and lose, um, how to communicate, how to be a leader, how to get up when you're down, um, how to accept people that maybe don't look or talk like you. I mean, all of these things, right? How to be inclusive, um, how to talk to your child when they had their worst game of their life, right? It's, it's, a, it's learning blocks for everyone involved in that activity. Um, so going back to the question, why sport over math? Um, I'm just going to say because you know, sports, sports has the ability to teach you so many things um, that, that are able, that can be applied to so many aspects of your life at all different ages. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I could, I couldn't agree more. I feel like sport is a part of the most basic form of communication and connecting and um, feeling like you belong to something, right? uh, which is body language. 
And then there's competition, which is your ability to level up and constantly have a healthy comparison right. uh, with uh, someone else or something else. And I think it's, a, it's an amazing challenge. And one of the things that I found fascinating about WFA with you is that uh, within the league, uh, you started with basketball, which we will talk about in a little bit. But within the league, you had the CEO playing with uh, maybe the person that uh, uh, runs scheduling or uh, something that has really nothing to do uh, with one another uh, at, at the micro. But at the macro, when it comes to the company itself, you, you get the departments uh, cross-pollinating and right. participating on this team. Was that something that was intentionally designed that way? Or is this something that just happened? Yeah, 100%. Going back, I love the analogy, why sport over math, right? If, uh, if you were to ask me to solve this math question, I'd say I actually have no idea how to do that. And you would say I know how to do that. So that already separates you and me, right? Sport um, levels the playing field. That's the whole goal with WFA is to get people from different backgrounds, different departments, ages, genders on that same team. And we're leveling the playing field. Um, we're eliminating all the politics and the bullshit that goes on in the workplace or your personal life or your day-to-day. And we're saying, hey, come together, be on the same team, and you're working towards the same goal. And it doesn't matter if I'm the CEO and you're my intern. The amazing thing, what happens in that um, environment where, yes, you're right, we have a CEO who's amazing, um, Bracken Daryl of Logitech. I'll give him a shout-out because he's been a big WFA supporter since day one. He's been playing on his WFA team since inception, um, and the beautiful thing is watching of watching him play with his teammates, which yes, are interns or managers or of course all quote unquote under him. They become his leader, and he becomes their follower. That's awesome because the intern may have played Division One college basketball, and you better believe he's a better basketball player than Bracken. So the the narrative changes. Bracken's now looking to his younger intern for guidance and um, for guidance as to how they should be performing as a team on the basketball court. And undoubtedly, that relationship on the basketball court translates to now their work experience. Because when Bracken walks down the hall and sees his intern, it's a big high five and hey man, great game last night, great pass, great whatever. And they automatically have um, a stronger relationship than they did the day before they started playing. So yeah, it's amazing. And my whole vision with this is to not only create awesome competition because it's very exciting to watch Google play LinkedIn or it's fun to see the, um, the rivalries that we've created through WFA. But for me, what I get, what I, when I walk onto a court and why I get so juiced up and fired up and I smile big time is because I just see how, um, these different groups of people are coming together and at the end of the day, having fun and being happy. Um, you have, you know, your 50-year-old woman who probably hasn't picked up a volleyball since she was in middle school playing with the 22-year-old resident at Kaiser Permanente and having fun together. And that's just, I mean, for me, that's, that's what this is all about, is bringing people together, um, helping people understand each other's differences, acceptance, inclusion, um, and, and, you know, that... I, I can't really think of another forum or another thing or place or activity where those things can happen. 
Right. And, and, and you guys facilitate that by providing coaches, uh, practice time, the whole thing. How does that work? What, what is the logistics behind WFA making it a reality? Yeah, for sure. So we, we pride ourselves on being turnkey and 100% seamless um, for both the employee athletes and the companies or the decision makers. And so we know that a lot, a lot of uh, things go on behind the scenes in order to make a league happen or make an experience like this happen. Um, and so that means that we take care of everything from creating the rosters to registration to creating the schedules to, um, you know, we, we go as far as asking employees what their preferred days of games are and their divisions and their uh, playing experience. And so at the end of the day, we can create balanced teams and balanced rosters, and we take care of all of that um, so the, ro- the, the companies don't have to um, worry about any of that. Um, and then, yeah, what differentiates us from a lot of adult, leagues, re- adult rec leagues out there is we have coaches. We have professional, um, amazing coaches who are there to inspire, motivate, relate to these employees. And again, it all goes back to creating a legitimate, authentic sports experience, whether you had that growing up or didn't. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people need coaches? Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll put that back on you. Why, why do you think you were so uh, inspirational and relevant as a CrossFit coach or a gymnastics coach? Yeah, for me, coaching is simply becoming a mirror that allows people to see themselves. And uh, what we've learned over time is that it's not about the technical aspect of things. It's not about the one, two, threes, ABCs, or here are the drills, but it's more about the mindset around it and how you can engage with uh, a skill or a craft, whether it's basketball or gymnastics or CrossFit. And, And the reason I ask you why coaching is important is because I assume there there's a divide uh, people hear, oh, here comes WFA. They're offering this opportunity for us to play basketball or volleyball or do these things that uh, maybe some have done at a pretty high level. But you also open the door for people who have not really done it before. I, I just wonder how how you how they justified being able to uh, get on a team with someone who's going to be uh, of a lesser level than themselves. And it's yeah. like, how, how do you break through the ego there? And is it, does coaching, does coaching play a role in that? Does coaching play a role in bringing the CEO and uh, the janitor together? Yeah, 100%. So um, in general, I think coaches are really important for a number of reasons. But if you think about the coaching landscape as it is today in 2018, almost 19, we have coaches for almost every physical activity um, that's available to us. And when I, when, I, when I say that, I mean, think about the world of fitness right now. CrossFit, SoulCycle, Barry's Boot Camp. Let's just use those three, for example. Those are like big time kind of um, fitness movements that are crushing it. What is the common factor between SoulCycle, Barry's Bootcamp, and CrossFit? Well, I assume, I assume it's group and that there is uh, some sort of instructor and, yeah, yeah uh, there's a coaches. person leading them. Yeah, and all of those coaches, at least from my experience, are amazing, badass coaches. And they're there simply to eliminate all of the bullshit and politics that 
may go on outside of that class. You come in, you feel accepted, you feel welcome, you feel like you're the fucking best person in that class. You walk into that room, they're like, yo, what up, Sheen? Like, great job yesterday, let's crush it today. You know, let's go, get better. The second thing is it's a herd mentality. So you're in there with people that you don't know, maybe you do know, and you're looking around, you're like, holy shit, like, I gotta perform here, let's go. Carl's crushing on that treadmill beside me, like, I'm gonna step up my game, and you're all feeding off each other, right? But you could do that on your own, I could do that on a treadmill beside you and say, all right, Carl, let's go. Put it up two points, put up three points, let's go. But I'm still coaching you. You're looking to me as a coach, right? To motivate you, to inspire you, to help you get better. Um, It's super weird. If you think about sports, that goes away after college. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. It's crazy. It's the only physical activity in the fitness world or sport world that we don't have coaches anymore for. And if anything, sports is that the thing that we should have coaches for because like you said you're bringing people from different backgrounds together and the worst thing about adult leagues in my opinion is you're forced to assign somebody to be that coach they don't want to be that coach people may not respect them as that person and so in a rec league when it's time to sub in or when is it time to sub in right right they don't really know yeah like all right carl come on out you're like fuck you i don't want to come out Mm-hmm. And so just having that qu- call it leader or authority figure or whatever it is, A, eliminates the politics and the headaches that come along with not having a leader and coach in whatever field we're talking about, right? Teachers. Um, B, it automatically assigns respect to that person. And so Bracken Daryl, as the CEO, is going to look to his coach, whoever that coach is, and know that person is leading him and their team. And you know what? A CEO or a manager or whoever who has to be the leader during their day, all day long, can take a nice break, cross their legs, cross their arms, and sit there and be led. Right. And on top of it, you know, they can learn some things, right? Like a a baller coach should, in our league, of course, we hire um, coaches who have had great coaching and playing experience. At the end of the day, our expectation is for them to be teaching these employee athletes something they didn't know before and help and help every individual wherever they are regardless of their experience get from where they are to where they want to get to yeah which is i I guess what uh, should happen in a company should happen in your family should happen with yourself regardless of it being sport or anything else so there there's there's transferable skills and having a coach uh sets a a little bit of a hierarchy and gives you that leadership and 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 I guess a lot of people also want to have a place where they can uh they can be led right especially maybe a CEO coming in to uh play in a league like this right uh is that something that they've they've commented or you've you've noticed uh, over time them talking to you and giving you feedback on this and if so what what does that look like yeah so it, it's super um it's super funny actually so two and a half years when I Uh, came up with the idea of WFA. I did some research. I started asking people about what they thought of the idea. And the biggest number one piece of feedback was like, Sheen, we don't want coaches. We don't need coaches, right? And because the only reason people are saying that is because um, in in the traditional uh, sense of adult sports, you don't have a coach. Um, And I just pushed back on that, of course, because my my theory was um, once an adult has a coach, they're never not going to want to have a coach, Um, And so I pushed it, of course, and since day one, all WFA teams have had coaches, and now if we look at our data and our surveys and our um, focus groups, 
coaching is the number one um, aspect of WFA or thing of WFA that people want, A, and people get feedback on. So if they don't like their coach, you're going to know about it. But that only means that, you know, that type of feedback for me is the best type of feedback because that's just validating the fact that coaches are such an important piece of this puzzle. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it, you know, it validates the fact that we need to be so bullish and adamant about hiring, training and retaining amazing coaches. That is awesome. I love that. I love that. Because I think people, just like you said, people are like, I don't want to coach. Right. Yeah, I don't want to have to uh, be accountable to someone. But uh, this, this uh, once you're in, you, you feel really good. It's kind of right. like having a family. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, going back to first conversation about um, you know, how people sometimes perceive me or the small but mighty thing, um, at the end of the day, I see myself as a coach. And that's how I conduct, I think, myself, whether it's playing sports or in my family or a- as a friend. Um, that's just kind of the, the hat I wear, right? Sheen, you're a coach. Like, um, I, would, I would say that that's the type of person you are too, which is why I think we get along so well. Yeah. And I love having you in my corner. Um, but sometimes as that coach, you just want to take that coach hat off and let somebody else coach you. Yeah, and you just want to play. Yeah, you just want to fucking play, right? That's right. Wanna, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, tell me, let's let's uh, go back to uh, early days with Sheena, like when you were a kid. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Calgary, Canada, baby. I know. It's so beautiful there. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, did you float down that river? Uh, that's right the by Elmo your house? The River? Yeah, by your, your family's house? Yeah, of course. That's amazing. We Some bad things happened on that river growing up. Really? Like just, you know. Being in high school, floating down oh, I see, the river. I, see, I, see. I, I thought there was like a murder, and they, oh, no. they they threw a body in there, and then you no. saw the body. No, that's the first thing I thought. No, I'm, I'm no. that. Okay, sure that <laughs> so some fun things happen. Yeah, there. fun, fun. There you exactly. go. There you go. Fun, fun. fun things happened in Calgary when when Sheena was a little girl, and then um, why did you decide to move to the U.S.? Was that to go to school? Yeah. So I let me get you a little closer to the mic. Closer. Okay, yeah, got there, you. Yeah, just a little bit. So uh, I. Um, I played college tennis and I went to Northern Arizona University. I actually had a call it career ending injury, which um, so did you get you you got a scholarship? I got a scholarship. Nice. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, scholarship. So context: um, all my friends stayed in Canada and went to schools in Canada, and little Sheena had to really make a decision: does she want to continue playing tennis and um, go for a tennis scholarship? or kind of follow her friends and stay in Canada and and have fun in college. Uh, So I decided to go the tennis route. So I did that. A week before my tennis scholarship started and college started, I broke my knee. Um, So that was very interesting because I went into my first year as a freshman as a redshirt. Um, and I, what's a red shirt, a red shirt means that if you have an injury, you sit out the entire season, but it gives you an extra year at the end to play again. So you you have a chance. Okay. You you got the scholarship, but, uh, we, we saw that you got injured. We're going to give you a chance. So we're going to wait until the end. So what, what happened then? So I was pretty frustrated that I couldn't play and that I had this like ridiculous injury. And unfortunately, I didn't injure it tennis-related. We'll say the word fun again. 
<laughs> everything happens for a reason. Um, so you you had left your 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 friends yes. to go pursue tennis, correct? Yeah, and then all of a sudden you're injured. Yes, it sucked. And uh, so I played. In the end, I ended up playing one year, but I just I never felt like the same again from this tennis in, from this knee injury. And always in the back of my head, I was thinking to myself, "What do I value more right now?" As an 18 year old, or however old I was. Do I value like this this grind? I mean, playing Division One college sports um, is a big responsibility. It really is, and I don't think anybody should like underestimate how hard it is. And um, at the end of the day, the emphasis is on the sport. So if you're playing D one, you are there to play your sport, and academics is secondary. At least from my experience, maybe not everybody's. Um, so I really had to think long and hard. Like, is this the experience that I want to have for four years? And where am I going after college? I, I was definitely not going to be a professional tennis player. Um, I, you know, I barely, I was like on the end of my roster at NAU playing. Um, I was a grinder, a pusher, ran my fucking ass off. But I was definitely not destined for the pros. Um, so I really had to like think long and hard. What do I really want out of this? And at the end of the day, decided that it would be in my best interest to go back to Canada um, get more of an academic education, and finish, finish it out with friends. Yeah, what, what did you study? I went to film school in Canada. Um, and film making is in my genes, in my family. I have some pretty badass um, women filmmakers who are crushing it in... Uh, I've seen. Yeah, in my family. Shout out to Zoe Lister-Jones and my auntie Ardell Lister. Um, and so I thought that, and I, and I loved, I, I love being creative. I love branding. I, I, you know, so I thought, all right, I'm going to go do that. Did that, um, had a great experience. I went to school at Concordia in Montreal, um, and then came back to Calgary, worked in film for a little bit, and then decided, um, oh, I'll just be totally raw here. I, I'm, I went to Argentina after college or after working, I forget, my brain, yeah. And I met my first girlfriend ever. I didn't even know I was going to have a girlfriend in my life. But I met my first girlfriend in Argentina who happened to live in the Bay Area. And I was like, fuck, I need to get to the Bay Area. Yes. That's where I'm going to go. That's where I'm going to like be sheen the real real can the real slim sheen please stand up you know that's amazing yeah. was, was that like your official coming out um i wouldn't say that was my official coming out maybe that was like my 50 percent coming out at least to myself and my close I, at that point my family i i if my family listens to this they'd probably um you know they'd probably say what the fuck sheen that's why you went to san francisco that is so <laughs> awesome um, so yeah, that was 10 years ago. I'm finishing up my 10th year in San Francisco right now. Um, my first girlfriend is still a good friend of mine, but she's not my wife. Now I have a wife. I hundred percent came out at some point in the, you know, from then and now, of course. And, uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in San Francisco. Yeah. That's amazing. How, how did you, if, if I may, how did you build up the courage to come out? Ooh. What was that process like? So... I had a pretty unique experience because I personally 
had no idea I liked women or I was gay um, all the way up until I was about 23. And for me, I had, growing up, I had a really supportive family, a really robust group of friends and family. Um, I was very lucky that um, I was always accepted for who I was. I was a, a little like, rambunctious tomboy growing up. Um, but I just, I, I loved everyone. I had amazing guy friends, girlfriends. I just, I really, I, I think like looking back, I would say, you know, I was a lover of everyone. I loved everyone. And um, up until college, I had boyfriends and I still ever, never questioned my sexuality. Um, although apparently all my best friends did. And I, I always ask them to this day, like, why the fuck didn't you tell me? You know? Why didn't they tell you? They, they said they just wanted me to figure it out on my own. Like, very, very wise young friends at the time, right? Um, so, in, in college in Montreal, in, um, I would always... I, I saw this girl who's actually a very good friend of mine these days, and I'd always say... I, I won't say her name on air, but I'd say, X, X is so hot, right? And, like, as girls and when you have girlfriends, like, that's totally common. You look at another woman, you're like, oh, she's beautiful, whatever, whether that's like you think it's a reflection of how you want to look or now looking back, it's like, oh, that's who you want to look like or, oh, is that who I want to like? Um, that's a big one. That's a big one. That's so, huge. Yeah, so I, uh, fast, fast forward, she ended up being my first girl experience, um, which, woo, that was, took, me, took me through a path, down a path that never thought I could experience. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, having the courage to come out, A, it, it comes, it, it's so, whether it's your family or your friends or one person in your life, it's so important that you have someone to support you. Um, my family didn't support me up front, and which meant that I had to heavily rely on my friends and other people in my life who were close to me. Um, I'm very proud to say my family are 100% supporters of me now, but I always tell people whether they're coming out or going through a hard time that you have to give family members or people who are, are close to you who um, possibly didn't uh, necessarily envision this lifestyle for you, you have to give them or be as patient with them as you were with yourself. And listen, coming out isn't an overnight occurrence, um, it took me probably years, two, three years to fully accept who I was and that this was my reality forever. Um, and so I think it's just unfair to expect whether it's your mom or dad or brother or uncle or whoever. Um, I mean, they should, you know, they, they definitely should accept you and love you regardless. But as far as like fully embracing it, I think it's, it's really important to acknowledge that you need to go really deep to understand that you need to be as patient with them um, as, as you were with yourself. Yeah, I think that's a super valuable lesson here, uh, that, that patience. And I feel like now that I'm hearing you tell me this story like this, which I had only been able to piece together uh, briefly in the past with you, I see how you are extremely patient with people now. And it seems like it's one of the assets that allows you to do business at the level that you're doing business. Hmm. Um, I, do you see that patience is one of your 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 biggest strengths right now in in, in building uh, WFA? Yeah, I think um, I I can be the most impatient person, 
because I'm impulsive, I'm ADD, like, I just want to get shit done, let's go. If people aren't on my level, I'm like, yo, let's go, like, get to my level. Um, But at the same time, I think patience also equals stress. And I think people would say that I'm one of the least stressed people in the world, which is maybe um, sometimes detrimental to, to how I operate. But nothing really phases me and nothing really stresses me out. And I think that goes hand in hand with having patience. So um, I always know that if I'm having a bad day or if a customer comes back and says no, or if you get turned down, or if you have a really hard conversation, whatever it may be, that it's going to get better. And it, it will get better if you make it better. But you have to ha- have to have the patience to know that it will get better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to put the the time and effort and thought into understanding how you can help make it better. Um, so I think that goes hand in hand, right? Like patience, stress, whatever it is. Um, having patience in business, in life, allows you to probably better understand all the good that can happen because there's a lot of shitty shit that happens yeah for sure man that's that's a lot do you do you have any like uh specific self-talk that you you can recall uh that you kind of go through uh that helps you kind of go from having a bad day or getting rejected or having a big no to uh feeling like oh man i'm on top of the world again i'm ready to crush it Yeah, I think I'm the least methodical and like systematic person ever. Um, I don't have routines. I don't have shit that I do like every day. Um, So as far as like, do I have that one thing that gets me through things? Like, probably not. I probably... Is is there like conversation in your head that happens where you're like, oh man, I got to know, but... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, it's like, oh man, I got to know or oh fuck, like they just like turned down this big proposal or they pulled out a contract, or my dog just pissed like seven times. You yeah, you know, have a new puppy that new is puppy. very cute. Yeah. Um, you know, you're just like, whatever. Like, okay. Move on. Move on. Let's That's go. Awesome. Move forward. Yeah. Um, I think I w- I've been thinking a lot about this, like why high-performance athletes or um, athletes in general have that feeling, right? And... For me, looking back at my tennis career, like, imagine if I was just like, Carl, let's go, come on, yes, point one, fuck yeah. You'd be like, dude, what are you talking about? But if you think about athletics or sports, that's, that's the energy and that's, that's the language and that's the self-talk every day, every point, every match, every game. And I've been thinking about like how you take that energy and feeling and... Um, that's the expectation if you're an athlete, how you take that and translate that to just like real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think about this all the time. Yeah, really? Well, yeah. How, how, how do you speak the language of sport or the language of uh, physical performance in real life? Yeah, how and, do you? Well, I think it's presence. Okay. Yeah, so uh, one thing that I get a lot is that when I show up in a room, people know that I'm there. Yes. And one of the things that I do is I just simply acknowledge people. You really do that. Yeah, I, yes. I go up to people, I ask them how they're doing, and I genuinely ask them how you're doing, and I just pause for a second because people are used to, hey, what's up? And then they're like, 
Nothing. They, they just, yeah, they just kind of shrug their shoulders right. and, and walk by. But if you just stay there and pause for a second, people are like, whoa, you're giving me one of the most valuable things that anyone can give me, which is your time. So when do you do that in sport? Uh, you, as a coach? As an athlete, as a coach? So this happens before uh, or it happens after. Let's say if you have someone on the field, uh, simply acknowledging what they did afterwards is a great way of giving them your time. Yes. And Everyone has a different way of uh, articulating this. Some people are softer. Some people are uh, more outspoken and outgoing. You need to find your voice. And I think you have a voice for sure. And I think anyone who's listening right now is like, oh my goodness, Sheena has some energy. And I think that vibe works and you actually start attracting the people that vibe with that. But one of the things that you have is you also attract diversity. Mm -hmm. You have people that are uh, maybe a little softer around you and and maybe work a little slower. Uh, And that's something that I I have noticed. And how do you do that? How do you attract people that may not uh, be just like you and yeah, just deal with that and feel comfortable with that? What does that look like? I think, are you talking about yeah, you're like WFA you're team or just team, network or yeah, friends or yeah. everyone, right? Because it's so easy to think uh, if you have a vision, for example, with me, with freestyle, I have a vision. I know exactly what I want the tone to be. I know exactly what I want it to look like aesthetically. And then all of a sudden, like for example, right now, uh, we have this Facebook group where right. we have uh, our coaches and we have our athletes. And there is uh, someone who's the team captain right now, shout out to Lydia if she's listening, uh, who is the complete opposite of who I am. Right. Right? And guess what? People gravitate to her way more than they gravitate to me. Yeah. And if I hadn't been open to being able to see past the superficial stuff, she would never be in this group and she would never be able to provide the value that uh, she's providing for the group and for freestyle and for the company. Uh, that took me uh, seeing past my own uh, bullshit that I was telling myself to, right. to allow for that to happen. And now I'm so thankful I did. Is there anything uh, that you've noticed or done that is similar in WFA? Yeah, I think actually you and I are very similar in the sense um, that we're both able to relate to anybody. Uh, I always like to say that I don't know a lot about a little, right? But I know a little bit about a lot. And why that's beneficial to me is because that means that I can connect with almost probably anybody that that comes in my path. which I think you're also brilliant at, and that's why you're so likable, and that's why I love you, is because that relatability leads to acceptance, and that relatability leads to people um, feeling accepted. Mm -hmm. And that all goes back to belonging, right? Right, which is taking us full circle to the the, the mission uh, of WFA through, through sport, which is awesome. I kind of want to shift gears right now into what it's like as a woman to start a company, uh, go through fundraising, and now running a company. What, what is that like? Because I know this is something that uh, we're talking about right now, uh, but I want to know from you, what's your experience been like? Hot topic, baby. Fresh off the press, Let's right? do it. This is something I'm very passionate about, and if you... Um, if there's one thing that I probably don't have as much patience for or that does stress me out is this topic. 
um, whether we're talking about women in the workplace or inequality or um, whatever it may be. So to answer your question, how is it being a woman founder, um, I'll, I'll ask you how many women, what percentage of women do you think work in sports? You know what? I was just actually scrolling through Instagram today trying to find female figures in the, in the sports industry. And I found a woman who I'm blanking right now on her name, and she was doing an interview um, with a sports agent, and she was saying that she uh, is glad that she made it onto ESPN right now, and she's doing pretty well. But what she said was that uh, her biggest fear is that it's going to end any day. So she is living uh, with a mindset of scarcity. And actually, I couldn't find a, a lot of them, so very few. Yeah, so if you pull that back a little bit and think about um, how many executive, women executives, blah, 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 it, you know, it's a domino effect. But then if you get down to sports, sports typically is a pretty male-dominant um, world, especially when you're thinking about the industry in itself, not necessarily athletes. So anecdotally, it's, it's been an amazing journey. I actually love the challenge. I love it. And I never let my gender or my haircut or whatever it is Get I love your way. haircut, by the way. It looks good, That's right? The you first, like it? When I walked in, that was the first thing I thought about. I was like, man, your hair looks cool. And then you know what I thought? What? I want that haircut too. Really? Fellow barber. That is amazing. Valencia. So. I love it. And this, you know, this goes back to confidence and everyone has their way of um, communicating who they are. But I, for what I just, I've always told myself, I'm never going to let gender or my sexuality get in the way. And that's really hard sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So on any given day, whether I'm fundraising, talking to investors, pitching WFA, talking to decision makers and companies, talking to people in sports, 99% of the time, those are men. And what the story I love to tell is, um, so recently, about a year ago, I brought on a really late business partner named Phil. And Phil is a dashing six foot plus um, man from the UK who's absolutely jacked. And if you just looked at us as business partners, you know, it's pretty fucking comical, right? And um, two things. So when Phil and I go into meetings together, um, and if we're, it's usually actually, if we're meeting with men, but sometimes if we're meeting with women too, who do you think the, those people look to automatically? Are they looking to him? For sure. Looking to Phil right out of the gates, right? Phil actually, at least a year ago, knew absolutely fucking nothing about WFA. Um, and to this day... I'm still the one who's leading the vision, of course, right? So looks to Phil, within about five to 10 minutes of the conversation, the attention goes to me. And two things happen. One, I have an amazing business partner who happens to be, be a white man who fully supports me as a founder, as a business person, as a woman. Um, I think that's so, so important in, in today's world is to surround yourself with men who um, believe in women, period. And you do, Carl, and I love you for that. Um, and, and two, um, you have to train whoever you're talking to to also believe and understand. And it's shitty. As a woman, it's really shitty that this has to happen. But you have to teach those people seamlessly that you have a voice. And actually, you're the person who's fucking running this shit. So if you're not listening to me, this shit isn't happening. And so what ends up happening in these meetings, and it's so awesome and funny to watch, is the attention for five minutes is on big man Phil, big strong Phil, and by the end of the meeting, they almost forget he's in the room. 
And then what we have to figure out is how we're navigating our relationship from a business standpoint, Phil and I day to day, right? And it's pretty, it's also funny, like if we're selling to people, Phil's going to say, all right, this person is going to listen to me because of how I look. And I'm going to say, oh, this is my target because of how I am. Um, at the end of the day, that that's just sales, period, right? You're like finding your, your target and your client base and um, relating to them because it all comes down to relatability. Um, but I personally love being a woman in this man's world. I generally don't look at it that way. I, I want to believe and really want to hope and expect that um, that's not going to be how it is forever, but it will if we don't change it. So if we don't have Phil's or Carl's in our, in our corner, if you don't have women standing up for themselves and going out there and making mistakes and failing, like it's sometimes really hard to get in front of five men and pitch your company and raise money. That's hard. That's, that's really, um, you're putting yourself on your lo- out on the line, right? Um, but fuck it. If you fuck up, who cares? They're going home at the end of the day and dealing with their own bullshit, right? Who cares what they think? Who cares what other people around you think? Like, it's so important to recognize that, like, at the end of the day, the only person that matters is you. You're in control of your life. You're in control of how people think about you. And when you go, when you go home today, you're going to worry about Tanai, the dog, your business, Tanya, and you're going to look back maybe tomorrow and be like, oh, yeah, I had a cool podcast session with Sheen. But you're not thinking about, like, my haircut tomorrow. Right. You know? No. Yeah. But I'm fired up as hell right now. Yeah. Man, this is awesome. Did you want my haircut? I want your haircut. Yeah. I want your drive, your heart, everything. You have it. I do. I have my yeah. own version of it, and, yeah. I, and I love it. And you, you always fire me up uh, because this is, this is the passion that you have that it just uh, exudes um, and it, it transcends, and it's awesome. Um, I want to talk about money really quickly. Okay. How does one start WFA? Does that, do you self fund that? Did it, how did you do this? Like how, how does one make that happen? Because uh, it seems like I think for people from a, from a distance, when they look into, you know, uh, Bay area, Silicon Valley, big startups, uh, whatever they, they think about this as something very elusive. They can't really put their finger on it. How, how do you get started? Like, what, what, what's the practical approach? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, um, or for anybody who doesn't have experience with fundraising or in startups, it can be really daunting and um, distant. Um, I'd say if anybody wants to ever start something or startup, you just have to literally do it or start doing it. Now, that also can be hard if you don't have the resources. Um, for me, I was very lucky, and I think a lot of it comes down to luck and timing as well. Um, I was very lucky that I had a support system that was able to support my dream and vision of creating WFA. So how the money thing started for me is I uh, got a select group of people, friends and family. It's called I Raised a Friends and Family Fundraising Round. That means I convinced um, certain family members and friends to like believe in my envision and and really convince them to give me money with the uh idea that hey you might you probably will lose this money right because fuck who knows what could happen right (laughs) Right. that which is so crazy that's so crazy yeah so i raised a friends and family round and that helped me get wfa off the the ground i uh, launched a pilot season so that was like basically my test product um, tested the product, tested the model with that money that was given to me. Um, and then we're in a pretty unique position because 
Uh, unlike some of these technology companies that, you know, you need to invest so much money up front to get the te- technology going. Um, ours is a, par- a service business. So it's a cash flow business, meaning that the more we sell, the more money that comes in, but the, also the more money that goes out. Um, so we've been able for two and a half years to actually operate from the ori- initial friends and family money. Um, total transparency. I didn't make, I didn't draw a salary for two years. Uh, Phil's still not drawing a salary and I'm drawing a minimum wage salary. So I think as a founder, as somebody who's um, looking to start their own business, like there's a lot of sacrifices that have to be made up front. And again, that just comes down to luck and timing. For me, I was able to afford to not draw a salary. Um, I think whether you're able to afford that because you had a lucrative job before or you're um, bootstrapping or you're, you're supplementing it with driving Lyft or Uber or whatever else it is. At the beginning, I was working another job um, or, you, or you're lucky enough to have family to support you, whatever that may be, which that's okay too. Um, but there's a ton of sacrifices that have to be made up front. And one of those is usually not drawing a salary um, and you know eating bananas for lunch or whatever. All right. And you didn't just go from film school to WFA. You, you were working for many years. Yes. What were you doing and what, what was your position um, there? Yeah. So I was overseeing the youth sports program at the Jewish Community Center here in San Francisco for eight years. Um, so I developed a new brand of theirs. We, we had about 2,500 kids playing in that program. And really the model of that youth sports program at the JCC um, translated to, to my vision for WFA. And I really just took that model for kids and applied it to adults. Um, but I was working for a solid eight years. The JCC was amazing. I'm from Canada. They sponsored my, um, my ability to stay here. So they sponsored my work visa. Um, I met my wife, Amelia, there. The JCC, awesome. Um, one of my, uh, our director of operations for WFA now was my, uh, one of my staff at the JCC. So yeah, great foundation, got a lot of skills and experience and network from working at the JCC. Um, and then just took the leap of faith. You know, it was, it's one of those things, like when you work for an amazing organization like that, um, it, you, some people stay there forever. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think at the end of the day, like for me, I had to look in the mirror and say, all right, I could be complacent, cushy, doing this forever. Um, but is this really what I want to be doing? Right. So for you, the JCC was kind of like, that was your real uh, going to school moment where you went to school for eight years, for sure. learned how to run shit, and now, boom, WFA becomes a thing. Yeah, and I'm, listen, I'm learning every day. Like, starting your own business, as you know, Carl, is fucking crazy. Yeah, and you you really taken it to new levels. I mean... Yeah, have I? I yeah. yeah, every... You don't see it, but every time I meet up with you, I'm just like, man, Sheena just did a quantum leap here. Right. In understanding knowledge, context, the whole thing, and that is really cool. Yeah, thanks. I mean, dude, like... Um, so I'll give, I'll give a shout-out to you, Carl, on this podcast. I'll take because, it, I'll take yeah, it, I'll take it. I think... Um, I don't even know what we're talking about anymore, but I'm sure we'll all connect. I'll, I'll, I'll guide you, i guide yeah, you. Okay, yeah, okay. So, I, I got you, I'm keeping track. Uh, raising money and founding a company, like it all comes down to who you know. It all comes down to having a support system. Listen, if my wife didn't support what I'm doing day to day, as you know with Tanya, you know, Amelia was my like lifeline for fucking 24 hours a day. I'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, hey, Emil, I have another idea. Right? She could have just like shut me down on day one and say, you know, Sheen, this isn't sustainable for our family and our life. Like, you got to go and get a different job, right? But having that support system and 
people in your um, corner who are going to like continue to motivate you every day and continue to keep going like money, shmoney, whatever. At the end of the day, like you have to just be so zoned in on the process and on the vision. I don't even care about raising money. I know that sounds ridiculous. Like we, we probably need money. And my business partner would say, Sheena, like we really need money. Um, but I don't even care about it. I just care about like what's happening in the experience, building the experience, making sure these employee athletes are having the best experience ever, right? Making sure that my vision is on track. The money will come. Like if, if you focus on the process, focus on the vision, focus on the mission and make sure that you're doing that, like success will come like anything, right? Um, hard obstacles on the way for sure. So back to you, Carl, I always like take a, I'm here patiently waiting for my props. I I always like check in with myself every few months and I look and I say, all right, if I made $10 million, right, what would I do? And I always go back and look at like my web of initial WFA people and I think, oh my God, like Carl, like you were so impactful and I'm not going to, I can lay it out in 10 reasons why. Oh, because I have this guy on my team right now doing photography or whatever because of Carl. Holy shit, right? So if you look back two and a half years, you can always pinpoint the success to this one person, right? Or I met Phil because of this person. Um, and, you know, I this thing in WFA is happening because Carl inspired me and gave me this idea. And I swear to God, there's like 10 of those things. That's amazing. Well, I'll take that and run with it. Yeah. That's amazing. Because that's what, that's what wakes, gets me out of bed every morning, uh, working with people and helping them develop the vision and getting them excited about it and giving them just enough courage to go out and do it. Right. Uh, so that, that makes my day. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so what, one of the formulas that I use, uh, and I'm always thinking about this, is content, network, conversion. So... Do the thing, like the information, share it, uh, gain the knowledge, whatever it is, the experience. And then the network is the people that are involved. Yeah. And then the conversion is uh, exchanging value. Okay. What are you getting out of all this? Like, what's your conversion? Because clearly you have content. It's your league, the network. It's growing every day. You're funding this thing. It's happening. What's the conversion besides people, uh, you know, playing basketball, playing sports, um, connecting in the workforce? What are you getting out of this? Me personally? Yeah. What's coming back to you? Oh, that's a good question. And I don't even know if I have the answer to that. Um, Also, like, well, at least my challenge with being a founder and starting this company is, and this is probably something I need help with and we need help with, is... um, like defining that end goal or, or even mission or vision. Like every day, if you were to ask me what is WFA next week, like I might have a different tagline, which isn't amazing. But WFA is so many things to so many people um, and it has a lot of legs, right? And so our challenge is like figuring out where the focus is and, um, and, and what to focus on. And so for me, at the end of the day, what was the question? Yeah, what, what are you getting back? What, what's coming back to Sheena? Because you're putting in all this effort. You put out, 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 out. You're always driving this thing. Yeah. But when you come home and you're sitting at home uh, and you're reflecting back, what is it that's filling your cup? Oh, for sure. Hands down, it's, it's, the, um, it's, it's our athletes. It's our people. It's, it's how we're impacting them. And anecdotally, we have so many um, 
photos and testimonials and whatever to to show that right and that just fires me up like going onto a basketball court and whether it's watching the competition and these people care right like in our wfa finals uh these past finals division one finals it was wells fargo versus yahoo it came down to a fucking buzzer beater um overtime shot and and we have a video of somebody saying this is the greatest moment of my life. That's amazing. Right? I have a, you know, anecdotally another um, uh, experience I always refer back to is uh, a woman who plays on one of her WFA teams and we need more women playing and we need men to support the fact that women should be playing. How can we men, men support that? What, what do we do? You need to ask your women colleagues to play. You also need to ask them if they have sports experience because what ends up happening is it becomes like this cult cliquey mentality right um and we're never going to go away from the fact that all of our leagues are co-ed we're going to have different divisions for different experience and skill levels but at the end of the day if you're a woman who wants to play in division one with men you are playing with them period if you're a man who doesn't have the experience to play in division one or division two you'll play in division five and maybe you're going to be on a team with more women um but at the end of the day, it's so important that men are out there supporting this and inviting and giving women or whoever it is the permission to play, the permission to be included. And so what ends up happening if, if your company is going to say, hey, guys, we have this uh, basketball opportunity, sign up and play. You as Carl, you wouldn't do this because you're, Car- you're Carl, um, but you're going to look I'm Carlos. Carlos. Okay, you as Carlos, you're going to say, oh shit, I want to play on our uh, strike movement basketball team. And traditionally or typically, you're going to look at your team of coworkers down the line and you're going to see five men and three women. And traditionally, you're going to go, one, two, three, four, five men, do you want to play on my basketball team? You have no idea if they have basketball experience. Um, one person might have just moved from China and has never picked up a basketball. This happened in his life. But you as Carlos from Strike Movement just is going to look down the line and naturally that's going to be your first go-to. Now, little do you know, the woman sitting at the end played Stanford Division One basketball. You just didn't ask. You've never had that conversation with her. And you never thought that, hey, you know what? Maybe these women would also want to play. So it it comes down to A, women standing up and saying, I want to do this. B, it comes up to men or uh, whoever giving your coworkers, your friends, the permission to join you. Simple. I feel like that's it. That's it. Is, Is that, is that, I think that's how we end this. Great. Go team. So that's that, my friends. That was another episode of The Freestyle Way with Sheena Lister, who now I think you understand why I appreciate her so much. She brings great energy. She brings great questions, is constantly trying to find clarity within her process. And I think one of the things that stood out for me was at a very young age, she was able to ask herself, what do I value more? And using that simple question to make the decisions that allowed her to move forward in a way that she felt fulfilled. 
The other thing that I really appreciated about Sheena is that she values diversity. Uh, for someone like myself, when I studied environmental science, one of the things uh, we learned was that an ecosystem is rich when it's diverse. And the fact that uh, Sheena is striving to find diversity in her approach uh, and the people that she works with is really compelling to me and really inspiring. The other thing that I really like is that she's putting coaching at the core of the work that she is producing. And coaching meaning uh, making sure that we have teachers, that we're constantly developing and challenging ourselves. And the fact that that is there and she's doing that with WFA, I truly believe it's carrying over into the workforce and shaping the culture in these companies. And I can only imagine what's going to happen 10 years down the line as WFA starts to grow and starts to really get into uh, more companies. The other thing I felt that Sheena was really courageous with here was in sharing her sexuality and her stories and how that was tough. And not just tough coming out, but also later on becoming a woman who is a founder of a company surrounded by men and how those interactions work. And I think that's um, very powerful to hear. And it's something that here in San Francisco uh, is, is more common than maybe in other places. And I just think we have to have this conversation more because there's so much we don't see, especially for me, I'm a white man. Uh, there's a, a lack of perspective. And uh, whether I want to uh, try to say that I understand what they're going through or what it feels like, I can't. And the fact that Sheena is wanting to talk about it and share it with me in a way that she is compassionate towards who I am and allows me to be compassionate back at her uh, just makes for something that I think is very special. And the other thing that I I think is very cool is that uh, the fact that Sheena, uh, who is someone who is very brave and is very driven, could share the vulnerability that she had to go through going from the JCC and having this cushy job to becoming an entrepreneur and now founder, I think is very valuable. So if you're someone who is right now in a place where uh, it's safe, it's easy, you know that you can cruise But you have this dream and this aspiration to make something special happen with your life. Maybe lean into a little bit of your Sheena and and go for it. Uh, There's always going to be a group of people there to support you. And if there's not, make sure that you rally them. It can be your family, friends. It can be former colleagues. It's up to you to build that team, and I think that's something that Sheena has done so, so well. And for me to be able to bear witness of that and to have collaborated with her uh, is just awesome. So that was that, my friends. That was another episode. This was episode nine of the Freestyle Way podcast. As you know, I'm excited about this, and I hope you guys are excited as well. And if so, you know what to do. You can go and share this with one person. I mean, right now, let's say we have 2,000 downloads per episode, just to say a number. Uh, It's approximately that, (laughs) but let's say 2,000 downloads. If each one of you guys went and uh, shared this with one person, all of a sudden, we would have double that. And that would be very, very cool. And it would be very cool because I believe that this 
podcast and these conversations carry a lot of value that can make a positive impact in the world. The other thing is, uh, this works so well, it's take a screenshot of you listening to the podcast, take a selfie and post it on your stories and tag me at Carl Powley and make sure you tag Sheena as well. Her handle is Sista Lista, which is spelled S-I-S-T-A-L-I-S-T-A, Sista Lista. And uh, let her know what you thought about the podcast and um, connect with her and see if uh, maybe you, if you work at a company and you want to have WFA uh, organize a league or get you guys part of, to be part of the league, that could be something really, really cool. So guys, uh, another week, another episode. I'm equally as excited. I hope you guys are excited as well. I wish you very well for the rest of the week and I look forward to catching up with you next time. Peace.